Well, good morning and welcome to Trace. How are we doing this morning, huh? Yes. You know when the students are in the crowd. Thank you all for being here today. I appreciate it. So, My name's Corey. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, along with uh, myself and, and uh, our lead pastor, Aaron, uh, sometimes, um, sometimes we get asked the question, you know, hey, as pastors, like, how can we be praying for you? And so, uh, so both Aaron and I would like to ask uh, for your all's prayer, because uh, today we're both mourning uh, the loss of our Kentucky Wildcats. And so... Um, we can just take a moment of silence on their behalf this morning. This is a real thing. Like, I couldn't sleep at night on Thursday. So, anyway, um, I'm just joking. Get in the side. I'm so glad that you guys are here with us this morning, this week before Easter. And last week, uh, Aaron, our lead pastor, did an incredible job kicking off this new series that we're in called Messy Grace. And, uh, and his, his tagline, his, his one thing that he wanted to share with us was this, Messy Church is what you get when we stop pretending. And, and guys, that obviously stuck a, a chord with some of you all because um, as we kind of looked at the, the metrics after the message, we saw, we saw that it's the most viewed and most shared message that we've had thus far because it's something I think that really hits at the core of who we are. We, we don't want to pretend. Like we want to be who we are. We want to be a part of a place that is real and transparent. And, and, and so Messy Church Messy church is what you get when you stop pretending. Well, this week we're going to continue in a second installation of this series of Messy Grace, but we're going to, we're going to take a little bit different direction with this because uh, with the coming week, uh, we have an event that we will be celebrating this coming weekend. It's called Easter, right? Uh, and and uh, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people all over the globe will actually stop and they'll pause their weekend to celebrate this event that, that occurred over 2,000 years ago. Over 2,000 years ago, uh, the God-man, Jesus Christ, died on the cross, was buried, and then three days later rose to victory. And this is something that people all over the place will stop to celebrate. Okay, and, and, and they should, they should, but, but those of us who understand this concept, who understand actually what had to happen in order for that to take place, we understand that, that Easter is not all about eggs and bunnies. It's not, it's not all about dresses and bonnets, right? You see, what happens at this particular event might possibly be the single most messy event that has ever happened in our history, the history of all mankind. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, one of the things is those of you all that have seen this or know this or understand it, um, like crucifixion is a messy business. How many of you all seen the, the Passion of, of the Christ? Anybody? Okay. Like, you watch that movie once, and like, that's all that you can watch, right? Because this is, a, it's a hard thing. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a picture here. This, this comes from that particular movie that we see Jesus on a cross. Crucifixion was a messy business. And if you've not heard how this whole thing was, was, was done, man, you can research this. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to talk about that today. But, but crucifixion was an incredibly messy thing. And in Jesus' case, before they even crucified him, they also gave him a judgment of, of 40 lashes minus one. And so he goes and gets beaten and tattered and bruised and ripped. And there's just blood and there, there are guts and there's pain and there's devastation. And there's the cross. And that is the mess of Easter. We see this in the actual physical form of his crucifixion. There's no doubt that this was a messy, messy event. Now, now just for you guys, I got to admit that sometimes I, I hear about the cross and I think about Easter and I forego the mess in my mind because it's something that's familiar to me. Do any of you guys do that? Like you think of, 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 of Jesus dying on the cross and we automatically go to the resurrection. We don't actually sit in the mess that it took for Jesus to enter into this whole thing with us. But it did. It did. But that might not be the messiest thing that happened in this event. 
Matter of fact, I love what Robbie Zacharias says. He says, maybe it's time to stop talking about if Jesus died on the cross. There are a lot of people who debate this. Guys, I'm just telling you, historically uh, spoken, like this event actually happened. There was a real guy named Jesus. He really lived uh, a life in Jerusalem. He really died on the cross, okay? Uh, there are things that you have to come to believe if you think that he rose from the grave, but like all this stuff is factual evidence. He really died. And we could talk about how he died. We can look at the actual process of crucif- uh, crucifixion. But Ravi says this, maybe it's time we stop talking about if Jesus died, and maybe we start asking why Jesus died why Jesus died. You see, uh, much more messy than even the method of death that Jesus endured on the cross is a theological question that comes out of this that just messes with our minds. It messes with how we see this God. And and here's the question, and it's one that uh, people have wrestled with no matter what their faith backgrounds are. Uh, You could be an atheist, you could be a Christian, you could be uh, new to this faith, you could be steeped into it. But when we stop to ask this question, it messes with our minds. And here it is, why did Jesus have to die? We stop to think about this. You start asking these questions. Okay, if there is a God and and if he is all-powerful and if he's all-knowing and and if he's completely good, if all of these things are true, then why couldn't he make this process different? Why couldn't he have just like sent Jesus down on a cloud and said, okay, you guys are all good, right? It's a a cosmic do-over, all right? Let's let's start this thing over again. You all ever ask those kind of questions deep inside yourself or do you just receive this event without even stopping to think about it? Why did Jesus really have to die? Why did it require a sacrifice? And that's what we're going to spend our time talking about today. In this installation of Messy Grace, we're going to be talking about messy sacrifice. And the one thing, the one thing that I want you guys to ponder with me as we talk through this is the sacrifice is messy because it always comes at a cost. And no one knew this better than Jesus. Okay? So in order for us to, to tackle this question, and it is, it's a deep, it's a dense conversation. It's one that we could spend hours talking about, uh, and uh, I've got like 20 minutes, okay? So uh, what we're going to do, I'm going to dive into this, but I've got to take you back to some historical context. The first thing I've got to take you to is the sacrificial system, okay? So sacrificial system, Old Testament, those of you all that are unfamiliar with this, uh, it's the concept uh, that basically God requires or demands an animal like a bull or a goat or a sheep to be sacrificed, to be killed, as a substitute for sin. This is the Old Testament system of sacrifice. Now, um, and most of us have not actually experienced or seen an animal sacrifice like in person. Have, anybody seen like animal sacrifice? You all do this in your home regularly? Okay. This is not something that's commonplace. Maybe some of you guys have seen it. I, I actually ha- had an opportunity. I don't know if I'd call it that or not, but um, I, I had an experience where I actually got to witness this thing take place when I went to Nepal um, several years ago. Uh, I was in Kathmandu, and we just arrived right after this ceremony, uh, this big, huge ceremony where they, they basically slaughtered uh, thousands of water buffalo all in this one square. And so literally we came into this place and there was still residue of the blood um, on the streets that we were walking. Uh, and, and then later on in that week, we actually went down to, to one of the Hindu temples and we actually saw all of these people kind of lining up uh, in line with their particular animal of choice, mostly goats. Uh, and we literally see them slashing the necks of these goats and pouring out the, the blood as a uh, sacrifice. I got a picture of what this would look like. And I know this is graphic and I, I'm sorry to bring this to you, but like this is, this is what, it, what it was. Like this was animal sacrifice and this was actually what was required of people in the Old Testament that were like following God. 
Now, there's a couple things that you need to understand about this. According to Levitical law, this was simply the law that, that the Old Testament found. as the same stuff that you'd find like in the Ten Commandments. In addition to that, they had these sacrificial laws and everything else that would come into play. Uh, this is what was required, okay? And so what would happen is, is people, uh, individuals would offer, offer sacrifices throughout the year, like what, this, what would happen here. Um, but in, in addition to that, they would also once a year have a special sacrifice on what they call the Day of Atonement. And, and that is like a really, really cool thing. I don't have time to get into that today. If you're in a neighboring group or maybe you all like to do this stuff on your own, go and research the Day of Atonement. It'll give you some incredible insight to what we're going to experience uh, this coming Sunday with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But, but a few things that you need to know about these animal sacrifices. All right, first of all, the animal had to be spotless. It had to be pure. It had to be blameless. It could not be crippled or defected or anything like that because you couldn't offer to God something that was already going to die. All right? You had to offer something that was pure and spotless. That was, a rec- that was a requirement for this. The second thing is this. Uh, the person that was offering the sacrifice actually had to identify with the animal that was going to be sacrificed. So literally what they would do is they would take the animal and they put their head up against the head of the animal before they would sacrifice it. And what that did was it symbolized this idea that this animal now represents you. And the third thing that would be required is that the person offering the animal had to inflict death upon it, typically by slitting its throat and allowing the blood to pour out. I get it. This is gross. This is nasty. This is messy. Sacrifice. But this is what was required. And when done in faith, this sacrifice actually provided temporary covering of sins. We actually get a little bit more insight into this. In Leviticus 17, 11, it says this. It says, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. Okay? It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So this is sacrifice. An animal must die in order for a person's sins to be covered. That is the sacrificial system. And you all might be thinking, that's not fair. Like, why animals? Why, uh, what did they do wrong? And that's the whole point. They didn't do anything wrong, which is what made them acceptable as a sacrifice for the people. And that's what we got. That, that is the system. The death of the animal symbolizes sins being covered over. So you all might be sitting here thinking, okay, I get what sacrifice does. I understand that. But why? Like, why? Like, God, why, why did you come up with this whole thing in the first place? Why is this the process and the system? Now, uh, let me take a stab at this, okay? Why the blood? Why did Jesus, ultimately, we'll get to him, why did he have to die? So I'll take you to Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 22. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, what the author is doing here is he's actually, he's giving you uh, a physical representation, shedding of blood, uh, to be able to help you understand a spiritual implication, the forgiveness of sins. Now, what you're going to see is is all throughout Scripture, uh, God is a God who is giving uh, illustrations and allusions all the time. What he's trying to do is he's helping us to understand uh, he gives us earthly illustrations to help us understand heavenly concepts on, on multiple occasions. And, w- and what I see here in this particular situation is that sacrifice is one of these messy physical acts that actually represents a greater or a higher spiritual understanding and reality. 
Uh, let, me, let me offer an illustration to you maybe to help you understand this a little bit better. Okay, so when we sin, and, and sin is simply uh, anything not of God, anything contrary to the very nature of God. So uh, if, if I was just, you know, to lie, that would be a sin, and it's contrary to the nature of God because God is truth, okay? Uh, is sin bad, first of all? Sin, is sin bad? Okay, sin's bad, good. All right. Is lying a sin? If there's somebody next to you who says no or didn't shake their head, okay, you need to worry about them, okay? But lying is sin. Why? Well, because of how it relates to God, because God is truth, okay? The same way as, like, if, if I steal, I am sinning. Why? Because God is provision. If I take life from somebody, like if I murder somebody, that's sin, right? Because God is the source of life. He's the essence of life. So when I sin, what happens is, is I'm actually pushing God away, because I'm doing something contrary to his very nature. Now, some of you guys might have grown up this way. You might have might understand God in this way. Uh, a lot of us would think of God as being some kind of big meanie in heaven. He's wrote down all these rules, and like if you break them, he's sending you away. But as I read scriptures, what I see is a God who actually desires to be with you, who wants you. Who, and and what, what I see is that when we actually proactively choose to do things other than God, we're pushing him away. But there's a huge problem with this. And here's the problem. You see, God himself is life. He's the source of life. He's the very essence of life. And when we push away from God, we actually disconnect ourselves from the very source of life. And if you're disconnected from the source of life, you are dead. Scripture gives us this insight. It says, for the wages of sin is death. The problem is, is that we don't necessarily make the physical jump and understand that reality. Same with Adam and Eve. They, they ate of the apple, right? And they said, surely you will die. But the problem was is they didn't like kill over and die at that moment. It wasn't the physical representation. It was a spiritual thing that had happened. Yes, they will die ultimately, but right now they are dead in their sins. So let's get back to this sacrifice thing. See, blood, blood actually represents life leaving the body. It provides a physical symbol to a spiritual reality that they have been cut off from God. I got this from somewhere. I can't give credit to it, so just listen to these words. Blood is not only the symbol of life, it is life. It is what keeps a person alive. Blood is messy. Blood is respected and it's feared. Blood is not something that people take lightly. God wanted us to understand the severity and the greatness of our sin and the cost of what it would take to redeem us, which is to buy us back from our sinful state. And therefore, we have sacrifice. And sacrifice was therefore necessary to be able to show us the physical representation of the spiritual reality that we live in. And so, year after year, animal after animal, sacrifice after sacrifice, this ritual continued to take place over and over throughout history. But God sent a prophet, a prophet named Isaiah, who actually foretold of a day, a time, a, a person who would be the Messiah, the great high priest, the sacrificial lamb that is to come. And, and he describes him in this way in Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to these words. He says, he was beaten. He was tortured. He didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. See, justice miscarried and he was led off. And he did anyone really know what was happening? See, he died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with the rich man. And even though he had never heard a soul or said one word that wasn't true, still, it's what God had in mind 
all along to crush him with pain. Now, I'm going to continue on in this passage, but just pause right there for a minute. This is a guy who's like foretelling the coming of this Messiah, and he's speaking on behalf of God. And this, for me, is what makes this whole process, this whole situation, this thing about sacrifice so stinking messy. Because it's what God had in mind all along to crush him in pain. And so from the very foundations of the world, when God created this place, when he set things in motion, he had Jesus on the cross in his mind. Man, I have, a, I have a hard time wrestling with that. And it makes my concept of who God is and how he operates, like it challenges those things. It, it causes a mess. But he had a plan. And the plan was that he give himself as an offering, as a sacrifice for sin, so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. These are the words of Isaiah spoken several hundred years before, before the Christ, the Messiah, shows up on scene. And sure enough, Jesus shows up on the scene. And as he does, John the Baptist sees him coming. And, and, and as he's coming toward him, he, he says, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is how John the Baptist describes him. These are the words that he sees when he sees Jesus now, I, I am also one of the, I'm the student pastor here, and I get to hang out with our, our students. And one of the questions I oftentimes like to ask them kind of in, uh, you know, uh, like time-breaking exercises, all that kind of stuff, is, is I'll ask them this question. I'll say, uh, if you could be any kind of animal, what would you be and why? And, and I get, like, all sorts of answers. You know, most of the time, like, predators or, like, their puppy or the dog or something like that. But never, not once, have I ever gotten one of our students to say, you know, I'd kind of like to be a lamb. You know, and the reason why would be because uh, they're known for being sacrificed. So I, that's, that's who I'd like to be. Yet Jesus readily and willingly accepts this title given to him by John the Baptist. The Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Because right now at this point, probably only Jesus and maybe John the Baptist had an idea of his ultimate destination, which would be the cross. Man, that is our God. That is our situation. You know, God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is completely good. He is the very source of life. But there are two things that, that re- require God to do something like this because of his character. And the, here, here are the two things. Because God is both love and he's both just, this had to happen. Let me explain what I mean by that. You see, he is eternally loving, he is eternally just, and neither one of these qualities gives way to the other. Both of them are necessary because they are eternal qualities that our God possesses, which means that in his justice, he says that when someone sins, something must die. The the shedding of blood is actually required for sin. And he cannot be a just God unless that punishment is paid. But it it is his love for his creation and all mankind that compels him to do what we celebrate every Easter. And that is to sacrifice his own son on the cross. 
that his blood would actually cover over ours. That he would pay the payment and the penalty that we deserve so that we might not have to. If you want to ask me the question in a very simple way, why did Jesus have to die? Giving you the long explanation of why did he have to die? Here it is. If he didn't die for my sins, I would be dead in my sins. I would be dead because of my sins. I stand dead now, apart from what Jesus did for me. Said in a different way, Jesus didn't just die for me. He died instead of me. And it was one of the messiest ways possible, the cross. Why? Why would he do that? This is love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for us. Now, in the same way that we might get desensitized to a, a picture of Jesus on the cross over here, I think we get desensitized to the fact that the God of all creation, the one who has put all of these things in motion, he actually loves us. And he demonstrated that love by going to the full extent of sacrificing his one and only son for our benefit. I think God wanted us to know that the only way to bring us back to a place of life was for Christ to suffer the most bloody, the most excruciating, the most graphic death that we could possibly think of so that we would never lose sight of the wonder of the cross. You see, blood was in the mind of God as the perfect way to display the supreme cost and infinite value of our salvation. See, sacrifice is messy because it always comes at a cross, and no one knew this better than Jesus. You know, I, I've done my best to give you some illustrations and some concepts to help explain why Jesus had to die, but, but I, can't, I can't necessarily, I can't exactly be able to tell you why God set it up this way. Um, it, it's kind of like, like why, did, why did God set up uh, circumcision? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like I, there, there are things around it I could probably say, but like, man, I, I can't tell you exactly. But this is what I can tell you. Everything that God does is with intent. It's with purpose. And everything that God puts in place gives us insight into who he is. And so this is what I can tell you undeniably. The fact that, that there is sacrifice, that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, shows us and demonstrates that God is a God of sacrifice. That is part of his eternal attributes. That is part of who he is. He is a sacrificial God. And so let me, let me illustrate this with you for a little bit because sometimes I have to just go to what the reality is. And so this is where I really wish I had my whiteboard, okay? But uh, we're just gonna work with this illustration for right now. A couple things that we know for sure is that uh, sin is on the board. That is reality for each and every one of us. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory or the standard of God. It's on the board. It is our reality. Second thing, because God is a God of sacrifice, he has already sent his son. He has already died on the cross. Sacrifice has already been given and that is on the board for all mankind. So all the, these things we know for sure. Sin is, exists. Sacrifice exists. The thing that is yet to be determined is how you will respond to those things. Your response to that is, is, is the undetermined factor. And so what we can do is we can acknowledge our sin and we can receive the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, which ultimately leads to salvation. That's one response. But in the same breath, we can also, we can reject the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, uh, which ultimately leads us to kind of self and, and to be able to do things on our own, work our way to God or to, to salvation, whatever happens. But that ultimately leads to separation. If you've never heard this before, separation from God is hell. That, that is what hell is. That's the definition. 
our response to this is everything. But if, if God himself is actually sacrificial, and if you choose to surrender to receive his sacrifice, then what you're doing is you're choosing a life of sacrifice for yourself. Because here are Jesus' words in Luke 9, 23. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow after me, who wants to receive the sacrifice that I have made, catch this, you must deny yourself, themselves. Take up the cross and daily, daily follow me. Take up their cross daily and follow me. You see, uh, make no bones about it. We get a choice in this matter. We get to decide whether or not we want to follow Jesus. But if you follow Jesus then it's required, it's expected that you actually obey him. And, and if you're going to obey him, one of his chief commands is that we would sacrifice as he himself has sacrificed. We would daily deny ourselves and take up our cross to be able to follow after Jesus. But sacrifice is messy because it always comes at a cost. And the cost to us, oftentimes, most of the time, it's self. Because self always stands opposed to sacrifice. I hear us say the word self-sacrifice sometimes, but it's kind of redundant because it always comes at the expense of self. You can't give away something that's not yours. You can't sacrifice something that didn't cost you anything. King David even knew this when he said, I will not sacrifice the Lord that which cost me nothing. And so, so you have a choice of whether you're leaning into self or you're leaning into sacrifice, but you can't hold on to both. Sacrifice demands a cost, and that cost is oftentimes Ourself, But here's the cool thing. In God's economy, sacrifice isn't losing. It, it certainly will cost you something, but you will receive something much greater in the process than what you gave up. That's the way that God's economy works in this regard. Now, guys, I don't know for you. I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know where you're at in your journey with Jesus. I don't know where, where you're at in your particular life stage or why you even showed up today. But here's what I know. There's a God who loves us enough to demonstrate his sacrifice through Jesus Christ. And he gives you an opportunity not only to receive that and earn salvation, but to be like him in this life. And so there is something in your life that God is calling you to sacrifice in order to be like him. I don't know what that is. But will you wrestle with that today? If you're choosing to follow after Jesus, what is he asking you to give up? What is he asking you to make hard in your life so that something else can be better for somebody else? Maybe it's, maybe it's your time. Maybe you've been really selfish about the way you've been guarding your time, and he wants you to use it for his purposes. Maybe it's your talents. Maybe, maybe you're holding back from actually doing something God has created you to do uh, be, because you would rather do something else. And he's saying, no, I want you to do this. And it could be as simple as serving at Easter on Sunday. All right, Maybe, maybe God is calling you to, to release or hold more lightly the treasures that you have in your home. In, 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 your, in your possession. Maybe it's uh, a room in your home that you could allow somebody to use or an extra car or, or maybe you could forego a meal with your family once a month in order to be able to sponsor one of our kids from Guatemala, which we have 45 more of these kids that are desperately needing to be sponsored. But we understand that that's a sacrifice in your ha behalf to, in order to be able to do that. Maybe, maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's control. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to wrestle. If you're gonna follow Jesus, what is he asking you to sacrifice. Quick story I want to share with you. I, I had a friend of mine uh, that I grew really close to, and um, and it was in seventh grade. She's from Mexico, and after seventh grade, she bolted back to Mexico with her family, and so 
um, we kept in touch, like pen pals and Facebook and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so like years and years go by, and she's got a family, i got a family, we've been in touch, all that kind of stuff. And she tells me that she's actually driving through Arizona and having an opportunity to catch up with her. So my family goes down to meet her family, and as we're having a conversation, I get to tell her about all that God's doing in our life and this big sacrifice that my family's getting ready to make. Uh, we're, we're actually leaving Arizona and the church that we love and the security and the friends and all that kind of stuff in order to be able to come up here and plant this church in Colorado. And so I was sharing all this stuff with her, and she was like, that is awesome. You know, it's, it's funny. It's like, we're, like, God's calling us to do something similar to that. And so I'm like, really? Like, what, what, what is God calling you to do? Like, how are you sacrificing? And so she starts to tell me. She's like, well, <clears throat> we've been asked by God to, to take our family from Mexico and this dental business that I have. Uh, it's actually a move to northern China for the express purposes of, of infiltrating North Korea. not a competition, right? Because like, I'm, I, like I lose this battle, right? <laughs> North, yeah, you know, we're going to be learning two different languages while we're there. And, and uh, I have this reoccurring dream that my son is going to die in the process. I, but like, we're, we're going to follow Jesus. Man. One of the things I love about sacrifice is that it's inspiring. Seeing her response to this and her willingness to go, it's not about the level of sacrifice, but the fact of sacrifice, it causes us to want to give up something to be able to see something greater. Jesus understood this. Yes, it cost our God incredibly, but he looked at you ahead of time and he said, you're worth it. Now, thank goodness we no longer practice the ritual of animal sacrifice. At least not in the Christian faith. But before Jesus bolted, he said, uh, you know what? I don't want you to forget this concept of sacrifice. And so he gave us two things that, that cause us to be able to, to reflect on this idea of sacrifice on a regular basis. And one of those things is, is this thing called baptism. We actually had uh, two, two people get baptized at our first service. And um, what baptism does is, is baptism is when, where we relate to Jesus' sacrifice. We, we literally, like, we, we die to ourselves or buried in our sins. We come up living for Christ. That's the concept of baptism. That's what Jesus gives to us. And, and that's a one-time thing where we actually surrender, submit, sacrifice our own life. And we say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And, and maybe for some of you guys, that's your step. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do in sacrifice. And if, if you're there, if you're close, if you have questions about what that looks like, please stop and talk to us or stop by uh, guest services, have a conversation with somebody. Next weekend, when we come to celebrate Easter, we're actually going to have an open invitation for people to jump into that baptistry right there. And we want you to be prepared for that. Uh, the second thing Jesus does is he says, guys, as often as you guys get together, remember me and remember what I did for you. This is called communion. Communion is where we remember his sacrifice. And we do that as often as we can get together. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna pray and I'm gonna invite Aaron back up to the stage. He's gonna lead us in our time of response today. Father, thank you for how you work, for what you do, for helping us understand things that uh, quite frankly are outside of our understanding. Uh, but Father, give us enough insight into this this messy question, messy sacrifice to be able to fully grasp 
this messy grace that you offer us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.